welcome to Shades and Coffee, the almost weekly look good, feel good podcast presented by me, Vivian Braidwood. Today's conversation is about creativity and how it can best serve all of us. My guest today is an accomplished all round creative, a published writer, director, producer, an award winning documentary maker, professional speaker, international educator, a life coach, a podcast host, photographer, entrepreneur, the list goes on. In the world of business, she has worn many hats from executive director, board member, project manager and advisor to a number of SMEs, governments and NGOs in over 10 countries and across five continents. Wow, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Please welcome Tina Davis. How would you go about describing yourself, who you are and what you do? I guess I would say I'm quite a multifaceted person in that I'm not someone who's only had one career, for instance. Like yourself, I've changed careers. I've done many different things in life. I've always been um, creative leaning, and that's been a thread through all of what I've done. And that's also what I thought it would be a good subject for this conversation, because January is the International Month of Creativity which really honours all people who have a creative living. And I think especially in this time, they need a bit of support and encouragement. Back to who I am. I'm someone who's always followed what I've wanted to do more than the sensible path. And as a result, doors have opened up for me without having uh, laid out, for instance, a big strategy for my career or plan. The course of my life has very much come about due to some impulses, I would say. I used to work in television and film for many years. I started as a production assistant, and then for many years I worked as a director and producer for big TV series and for documentaries. And that was my passion, particularly doing documentaries. I then changed my direction because of a documentary film I made, which its subject had a big impact on my life. And I decided to do research on this topic, which was the topic of modern slavery. So then I did a PhD, which was um, kind of a bit of an impulse because I was going to do a master's. And then I met someone who worked as an academic and who said, it's only a year's difference and you get a lot more out of doing a PhD. So I did that, but I didn't really do the research as what that really meant in real life. So I jumped onto that and I did complete it. And Now I work in the area of human rights, but a lot of what I do is also creative. So I guess I think I'm at a place now where I'm, uh, I think I've pulled together a lot of the threads of my interests into what I do. I'm very jealous (laughs) because I've met people along the way who, when they talk about who they are and what they do, they talk about being able to follow impulses and follow passions. That's something that was quite alien to me growing up and to lots of people that I, that I know. And maybe some of it is fear. The individual chooses not to follow the impulse and not to follow the passion because maybe fear. Sometimes it's laziness. It requires putting yourself out there. Sometimes it's an opportunity. Life hasn't put you in a position to be able to maybe do that. Maybe you need to look at other options because you have to meet more immediate needs. But the more and more I meet people that tell the story that you tell, I almost feel my heart beating faster when I listen to what they're saying. Because growing up, I always thought that 
channel, that pathway would lead maybe to chaos and things not gluing together. But the older I get looking back, those stories usually, as you said, there's this common thread that means that even though you're just sort of moving from here to there and you're guided by impulse and passion, it fits. The pieces of the jigsaw fit in a really, probably more in more of a way than someone like me, my jigsaw, where I was a planner, <laughs> you know, and de- denied impulses and tried to be a lot more strategic. I always love hearing those stories. And I, I suppose there's always a thing about the grass is always greener. Hence why I use the word jealousy. For me, when I was young, I used to love reading books. Uh, when I discovered the library, I would go once a week and I would come home with a stack of books and I would just sit with my nose in it. I think that was my little escape, particularly if things became a bit difficult around me. I would love escaping into my books and into different worlds. It was more of a discovery. You know, I could be in China or I could be in Latin America. Or, so I was kind of traveling through books. I also grew up in a household where there was lots of newspapers. My father used to work for British Airways and he would every day bring home newspapers from the airplanes. And I think probably when I was about 12 or something, I knew that I wanted to become a journalist. But I was never very school smart. So by the time I was 16, I think, or 17, just before I was 18, I quit school because I I did a year of business school when my other friends went to do their A-levels. I took a different path, which was stupid, really, because it wasn't in my interest. And after a year, I decided I wanted to quit. So I quit and started working when all my other friends were at school. And then I realized how boring that was because I was, you know, <laughs> I started as a junior secretary in an oil-related company. And I remember the boss, he was a nightmare. He used to stand over my shoulders controlling me all the time. And I was like, oh, this is horrible. But somehow that choice of quitting school and started working was really good because it pushed me then towards journalism again because I realized, well, this is not what I want to do at all. So I, I did a year of journalism in a type of school that we have in the Nordic countries called Folk High School, where you can take a year out. Usually it's before you go to university and you can do a year of a subject that's of your interest. And you live at the school, so they're usually also quite remote places. So I went there when I was 18. I decided to do a year of journalism, which was a blessing. So I started on that path, and then I had to go back and do A-levels. I could then uh, move to London where I studied journalism, and I got into TV and film and all of this. So the doors opened by not making the right expected choices, so to say. When you're describing your childhood, I imagine that that all children, that all people are naturally very, you know, creative. That's why you can just make a game out of thin air. (laughs) I used to look at clouds and see all sorts of things in the clouds. And somewhere down the line, it gets a bit corrupted. So I suppose I've got quite a few questions. How did you manage to kind of get that strength to say, this is the path I'm going to follow? And, And also to know your own words. Well, that was stupid. That didn't work out. So what? Let's move here. You know, and what advice can you kind of offer up? to anyone that's at that stage now in terms of the choices that they make and how they keep tapping into that creative part that we all have as children growing up. As you say, yeah, we are all creative. Uh, That's something that's inherent in our lives. And we particularly express it when we're children and then it can get stifled. and, And some of us are more creative than others. And I remember at school, 
you know, in language class, I, I used to write my essays and I had teachers who would say, you have too vivid an imagination. And so I didn't like school because I felt very restricted and limited. And it did the opposite of giving me confidence in my creative or artistic abilities. You know, imagine if those teachers had known what I went on to do, you know, I would have uh, absolutely proven them wrong. But imagine saying that to someone like J.K. Rowling, you know, you've got too vivid an imagination. <laughs> so I think that had an impact on my confidence for a long time. But I, I think then the journalism was more of a craft uh, than going by, you know, whatever artistic direction I could have potentially gone into. But then I think all along as well, I've been blessed with a, a strong work ethic. So none of any of it would have happened if I didn't have that ability to work hard. And that's been my a great driver in all I've done is that no matter how challenging or difficult or whatever, I've always had that. I've worked hard at it. I, I think if you really want to do something, you'll do that. So I moved to London in, I think, 93 and started a bachelorette. University of Westminster in media and I thought I was going to be a print journalist and three years later I graduated and I knew I wanted to work in television because in those three years I had the exposure to the visual mediums and I loved it and I thought you know this is for me you know it was fun it was fast moving you worked in teams and at school we did all kinds we made music videos we made tv shows we made documentaries and and when I graduated I was I remember I was thinking if I can do documentaries at the age of 40, I would have succeeded because for me, that's how somehow challenging it seemed to be able to live of that. You know, I knew that there's so many people who wanted to work in those areas where there's not that many opportunities. And then I was very fortunate. I, I was able to start working in television as soon as I graduated and I did documentaries straight away. So I was able to do what I had thought I would do later in life. And your vivid imagination was valued very highly at that point, I'm guessing. Yeah. The thing is, when you said you want to talk about creativity, I thought, let me look in the dictionary. And one of the definitions that I like about creative is the use of imagination or original ideas to create something. Now, we're in 2021 and there isn't a person alive that wouldn't agree that the last year has been unexpected and full of surprises and in terms of the lockdown or the several versions of the lockdown, the different ways of working, the forced isolation for some, and just seeing on what you see on the news and all of that, I would say, you know, creativity, imagination would be a really powerful tool. I found it to be something that's kept me feeling really alive, really vibrant during this time. What would your advice be as to how people can sort of tap into that? How, how do you see creativity and how do you see the role that it plays in people's lives, especially during these times? I think creativity serves us in so many ways. You know, it serves me in many ways. I, I enjoy creative expressions of others. So uh, as a Christmas gift, my husband and I bought ourselves a sound system and a good old school record player. And it was wonderful, you know, coming down in the mornings, listening to jazz or whatever. It filled the, the room with a whole other atmosphere. That's one thing that gives joy. And, you know, I've been reading some great books. At Christmas, I read uh, Tina Turner's latest book that she just released called Happiness Becomes You, which is such an inspiration where she talks about her life, but also her life philosophy and how that served her to be become the woman that she is and and through all the challenges of you know racism 
sexism, ageism, whatever. She's completely followed her own path and been almost like a phoenix in what she's been able to do. And at the, the age of 80, she wants to share her real inspirational nuggets. So so that's one thing, the reading aspect of it. And But I've also enjoyed, uh, I watched now recently the Crown and Bridgerton series and, you know, looking at one that sort of depicts you know, it's fictionalized, but a, a real royal family, and then Bridgerton, which is fantasy, has also been interesting. And I, you know, I enjoy it just for the fantasy part of it, and for the costumes and the light and the lightness of it. But also seeing a series like Bridgerton, where it's a cast that's diverse, multicultural, the lead is a black man. So you see that time has changed and we're seeing that expression through art, which is also really encouraging. And there's artivism. So you see a lot at the moment of um, art being used as a form of activism, particularly around the whole Black Lives Matter movement. So that's interesting. But personally, for myself, in terms of my own creative expression through lockdown, I think Cooking is a creative process, you know, and that gives me joy and allows me to be in the moment. But equally, I enjoy uh, taking photographs. I very easily do it on my iPhone, but I'll go out, go for a walk, and it's a way for me to also connect with nature. But to be in the moment and to have a sense of wonder and to sort of nurture that sense of observation and wonder in a very tangible, easy way really gives me pleasure and joy, but more than anything, it just blocks out all the bad news. It gives me relief. It gives me to almost like it's a mindfulness process. So that's uh, how you can do it. But I think for me, creativity comes in all. You know, it's, um, you know, as an entrepreneur or in business, you know, it allows you to think outside the box. It allows you to find new solutions to things. So, and it's something that we all can tap into and learn to tap into in different ways. I think if you do it for the sheer pleasure of creating something, then it gives you a lot of joy and it can also allow you to grow. I use it like that. But in my work, I also write at the moment. I'm writing a book. And when it comes to work, it's a sense of creating meaning for me. So it's not always fun. The writing process is not always fun. What do you mean? Is yes, that? when it's related to work, you know, right. to sit down and like I'm doing now, I'm writing a book, which is a huge project. It takes a lot of discipline and motivation. So it's not just like going out for a walk and taking a photo. That's joy for me. That's creativity serving me in a completely different way. But in my work, the creative work that I do there, particularly when it comes to writing, it's a sense of creating meaning in my life. And that's what pulls me through. That's where I can tap into the motivation of it because it's not always fun. If you want to do a bigger creative project, they are not necessarily easy. If you think that you're going to sit down and do a bigger creative project and expect it to be fun, you will quite possibly end up meeting barriers and you can very easily also sort of drop it all together. Yeah. I like that you said that. That's something I don't think I've heard anyone say. You always think of people who are really creative that they have a lot of fun. But during this past sort of year, I've been working on some creative projects with a creative team of people. And there's a lot of hard work. But as you said, to get the end result and to have that discipline, there's a lot of pleasure in that. Now, you touched on a number of things that I found really interesting in terms of creativity at home, 
you know, at work, because I have interviewed a number of business owners when the world changed for them and certain limitations were, you know, parameters were enforced on them. And many of them were really surprised at the ease with which creativity flowed. So when they were under that pressure, so the ones, especially the ones that had big rents and rates still to pay, so they had to evolve. It was almost like the evolution process was just shortened. They had to evolve or die. Um, But at home, what I find is that there are a lot of people who are working from home and they're struggling because they don't have that social contact, but also the nature of the work Sometimes doing that from home, especially if you have children or partners who are also trying to work, is difficult. So some great, great advice there, um, listening to you on how they, they manage that. And then the third element was in terms of your own, your own kind of well-being, that kind of mindfulness. I mean, I'm assuming you've always been a person that read and had music in their lives. I know lots of people who doesn't occur to them to put music on at home. It makes a really big difference to how you feel or to engage in things, as you said, that get you right in the moment, like cooking, learning new recipes. So it's something that's accessible to everyone. And no matter what stage of life you're in, and you can involve your partners, your children, and so on and so on. Yeah. Also for exercise during lockdown, because I'm also working from home, I've found uh, an app that's a dance app. So I thought, well, rather than doing boring exercise, you know, I enjoy, I really enjoy being outdoors and uh, getting fresh air, walking, you know, in nature, or I enjoy a yoga class or, you know, I can do different things. But I thought, well, if I'm going to do it at home on my own, I want to do dancing. I found a really funky, fun thing, uh, app that I do. And it just puts me in such a good mood. So by the time I've done that in the morning, before I start work, not only have I exercised, but I'm also really uplifted and I feel light and happy. You can use it in so many ways in your life to look after yourself or your business. You qualified this year as a creativity coach. Now, what yes. impulse brought that one about? Several. And it's something that I've uh, thought about for many years, but it's more has been, okay, where do I find time to do this? But you know, I'm also entrepreneurial and I enjoy uh, starting things and I've got lots of ideas. And but and uh, at one point I thought, well, because I've had many different experiences, I can potentially, as a coach, guide other people to tap into their own reservoir of those things. And sometimes if you're working on, say, a creative project of some sort, it can be the confidence that you lack or it can be the... Um, you know, that you're not very practical about, you know, how do I get my uh, things out into the world? I enjoy creating, but I don't enjoy the whole business side of things. Or it could be that, you know, you find find it hard to have a regular practice of uh, as a creative and you, you think that, you know, I can just do this when I, I get the impulse to do it. But then that's that never happens, you know. Uh, it's not a really good way of going about things. So it's more potentially guiding people. So I have a life coach certification from before and I thought, well, as a creative myself, if I was going to do coaching in the future, whether it's in my current job of mentoring younger people or, you know, potentially in the future as a, as, as a more of a job, then um, it would serve me. And it also serves me personally. It allows me to learn techniques of structuring myself and finding ways to break through my own 
whether it's a barrier or whether it's sometimes uh, my fear of not you know being good enough in what I do or thinking that I won't be good enough to do what I want to do which uh, I think is a big blocker for many people is is that fear. So so give me an example of how like one way or a tool maybe that helps me understand how creativity coaching differs from other types of coaching because you already had the life coaching as you mentioned. So I guess it's more around understanding um, the nature of a person who works in the creative field and some of the particular barriers you can come up against there, which are maybe different to, I would say, life coaching. If you're someone who's written something and you get a really bad review, then it can be very hard to start your next project. You may feel that, you know, how can I do this? You know, you can be... um, a musician or a documentary filmmaker who don't have anyone to talk to in the process. You're all alone. You know, you don't have a team around you. So you just need to have someone to discuss with or, you know, air your thoughts with to understand your own thinking process. Or Because ultimately, as a coach, you never tell someone what to do. You just try and support people to find their own answers I mean, it's funny when you talked about creative people, you know, people that work in the creative industry. One thing that COVID did highlight to those of us who don't know very much about that industry is that they're structured very differently. Because I know Mm. early on last year, there was a lot of talk about when it's furloughing employees and they talked about contractors. And then you've got these stories coming out about people in the creative industry who are very hard hit, very, very hard hit. And then you began to understand that they are actually structured differently. They don't exist in the same traditional organizational structures that we're, that we're used to. So, so knowing that actually helps me to make more sense of what you're saying, because they don't have those networks in order to, you know, have those conversations and get that coaching from within the organizational structure. And then the other thing is, I guess, a lot of creators, when they put their art, their work, their creation out there. They do it probably in a way that, you know, employees within business structures don't do. We're, we're a bit sheltered, aren't we? Kind of just, you know, no one might really hear about it. Criticism might come from just your immediate line manager. But as a creative, when you put whatever it is, a book, a song, I can imagine, I can imagine what it feels like if you get a negative review or a negative response <laughs> and how that might affect your creative process going forward. Yeah, I wouldn't like to be in that um, line of fire in that position. It takes a lot of courage to work in the creative fields. You're very vulnerable. And I think it's that vulnerability that, you know, both practically vulnerable, as you said, in terms of COVID, that's really been highlighted how, you know, you are outside of those regular structures. The other thing is, as you said, you know, you thought creative work was fun. But if that's what you're trying to live of, it can be highly lonely. It comes from within you. And so you don't necessarily have a team or someone you can discuss things with or it's a vulnerable process so you need maybe a safe place to go and talk about you know your feelings or your struggles and then uh, not all creatives are you know have that strong sort of business sense so that's also a big area you know in order to get to the place where you actually secure your income whether it's a contract and deals and all of that you can feel very lonely there too because you may not be so well prepared for that. Then to have someone who can guide you a bit or who can point you in directions where you can get that support and protection, because you don't have that much protection. I feel what you're saying. Like I really feel it because I think the nearest I've been to that was when I became a business owner and I launched a concept that was brand new to market at the time. 
listening to you, I would now redefine that as creativity to put something out there, an idea, a concept that wasn't out there before. And I remember when we put it out there and the market didn't respond, (laughs) didn't respond the way we thought it would. We thought it was a great idea. And the rejection was hard. It was hard emotionally and it was hard financially (laughs) because we weren't making the money that we were meant to, but we still had these rent and rates and, you know, close to bankruptcy and all that sort of stuff. And then when you get the feedback from the market, we had all these reviews and all the magazines and you're quite right. And one thing I learned really quickly, I wasn't expecting. So anybody that goes into business, there's no literature or assistance anywhere that that will prepare you for this. It was really, really lonely to the point I shed tears because no matter what it is, the book stops with you and there's no one you can sort of look to, to fix it. And suddenly the penny dropped. You're on your own. At one point I had to, my skin had to harden a little bit. You know, I had to have a hard shell because when you're pouring content from your heart, which is what the concept was, and the market is um, rejecting it or not treating it kindly, unless you're made of really strong stuff or have that network around you, that can be quite soul destroying. So yeah, I do, I do understand what you're saying. Great that you're offering that service. I also think the other aspect of it, which I need to say is that, you know, when you work as a creative or, you know, in business as well, when you share your work for feedback or for potential contracts, you will get a lot of opinions. And when it's something that, you know, you have created, you are quite vulnerable in that process. And the person who gives you an opinion who says no for instance if you've written a book they'll go actually no I think you should set the story in a you know in a different city or I think you know you should go in that direction or something completely different you feel very vulnerable but those are people that have influence and power over whether you will succeed or not in you know getting a contract so then you're sitting there thinking okay that person's right so now I have to change it and it takes your work in a completely different direction. But often opinions are cheap. They're like a pair of jeans. You can try them on, you know, anyone can try on hundreds of them to find, uh, you know, whatever one that fits. So it doesn't mean that that's the right choice for you. Also, having someone to discuss what the right choices for you are or not is really important because you can go to, say, if it's a publisher, you can go to the next publisher and they can come with a completely different feedback. So it's also to be able to have the courage to hold your own and say, look, this is actually how I authentically want this to be. And, well, you know, maybe I I will have 20 rejections, but ultimately there might be one or three who want it. Um, So to learn that process too, and I think a lot of creatives will have uh, stops and starts or they may be discouraged or leave a project altogether because they take on opinions of others and it confuses you and it pulls you in directions where you necessarily don't want to go. That's a really good point. It's funny that you mentioned Tina Turner's book because when you read any book about anybody's autobiography or the learning when they dissect and distill their past, you'll find stories from many people where they've been rejected And the thing that's been rejected goes on to be a massive success at the Beatles, (laughs) for instance, you know, many, many, many artists. Or a business idea too. You know that, you know, setting up something can take you two to three years before market actually starts properly responding the way you want. So it takes a lot of stamina and perseverance and grit to get there. 
Tina Turner's story is also particularly interesting and encouraging because she talks about it in the book herself that she was told that, you know, as a black woman, you cannot be a, a sort of female rock star. <laughs> Boy, does she prove them wrong. <laughs> yeah. And she talks about her looks in the book, how she struggled with her looks for a long time. You know, she said she said she wasn't a your you know sort of typical beauty, but boy, did she become like the sexiest kick-ass female rock star there was. And she's still rocking it now, <laughs> but never conventional, you know, in no. her music or her looks or expression. Nothing. I won't give away much of the book, but also if you know a little bit about her life story, which was and has been all along super challenging, and she's you know she talks very encouragingly about how she overcomes all of that. She was friends with David Bowie, who used to call her the phoenix. And I think we can all be phoenixes in different ways, wherever we are and whatever we're doing, and particularly in this time, you know. Yeah, look after ourselves and do those little good things, whatever they are. And even if you're a single mom or a homeschooling parent who might not have much time to go for long walks or take pictures or whatever, you know. You know, always put on a song and dance with your kid for five, ten minutes. You know, there's always ways yes. to do something that makes you feel better. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. We all have it in us. Personally, I believe that's why we have this love affair with creative people. And the thing that you've created, whatever it is, it touches, it speaks to people, speaks to their spirit, speaks to their heart and soul. And that could be anything, documentaries, a piece of clothing, jewelry. It could be anything. And I think that's why we, we value these things so highly, because it speaks to something within each and every one of us. And I think you're quite right during these really challenging times. So there's an opportunity for us without all this noise and disturbance that we normally have to get back there and to get connected again with that thing that, that's available to all of us that is so beautiful and is so joyous. Because it really enriches our lives, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your circumstances are it enriches your life. It doesn't take away whatever challenges you may be facing, but for that moment, it gives you that sense of joy. Yeah. So, so I think there's a lot of power in the creative expression and art and, and creative outputs that we can also really draw on now. You're right. It's important to know that there's always a different way of thinking, of being, as you said, you might not be able to change the situation as it stands. And maybe many of those decisions and factors are out of your control. But if you're in it, you know, there is a way to bring an element of joy and to bring about possibilities so that you don't feel completely hopeless. That's what it is about really, isn't it? Possibilities. Possibilities, yeah. uh, potential solutions and the ability to renew your life, whether it's for a moment or, you know, for longer. My life mentor, Daisaku Ikeda, he has this really beautiful quote that I thought I'll share at the end. He says, creativity means to push open the heavy groaning door to life itself. This is not an easy task. Indeed, it may be the most severely challenging struggle there is. For opening the door to your own life is in the end more difficult than opening the door to all of the mysteries of the universe. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is an awesome quote. You've been listening to me, Vivian Braidwood. Ask me any lifestyle related question or let me know which topic you'd like me to cover during our essential coffee break. Tag me and use the hashtag Shades and Coffee with Vivian on Twitter or Instagram. If you like this podcast, hit subscribe and please rate us. Shades and Coffee. Look good, feel good. Mm-hmm.